Harrison Price for Friday, November 24th, 2023. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're planning a holiday party, Wall Center offers more than 55,000 square feet of striking indoor and outdoor space. Give them a call, 604-893-7370. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price. Grady Sass hitting switches, conducting things in this show. A presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Langley is urging you to come and take the Nissan Leaf for a test drive. Uh, and you're probably thinking, ah, oh, electric, you got to remember to plug it in. Takes so long. You get up to 80% of your charge in 40 minutes. It's nothing. You stop to run an errand. You get up almost to a full tank. Go check it out. See what they've got to offer and uh, see how it drives. The Nissan Leaf with a huge stock, too. Rates from 5.99%. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today is scratching Andre Kuzmenko the right call, yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. Uh, Blake, i got to say I'm a little surprised here. No, his level hasn't been exactly where Talkit has wanted it. Just last week, Talkit was uh, publicly critical. Of course, he also took a puck in the face, and I don't imagine that uh, has helped matters. And, of course, the shooting percentage and the goal scoring hasn't been to the same heights as last year. But uh, I'm surprised here. First of a back-to-back, as I say with any scratch, with just about any player, I I give the coach a a one-off, if you will, that card to play, even if I don't necessarily agree with it. So I'll vote yes on the poll question, but I'm interested to see where it goes from here. I'll vote no only because I don't have all the information. Um, I mean, it, it's possible that... Wouldn't that incline you to vote yes? No, I'm I'm going with the assumption that while I'm sure something has been said to Andre Kuzmenko, it hasn't been laid bare. Because, I mean, the truth of the matter is, he's had 14 points in 19 games. I mean, still decent. I mean, in better opportunities, perhaps, than some of the other guys further down the lineup. It's a 60 point season, effectively. Yeah. Which is fine. So, uh, you know me, I'm always of the mind. You don't take a player that can make a difference in your game out of your lineup entirely unless it's really the last straw. And the reason I'm voting no without all, mm. knowing all, everything going on beyond this is because. Why would you be at your last wit's end with Andre Kuzmenko with 14 points in 19 I'm games? I'm not necessarily sure you are at your last wit's end with him. I Look, a few things here. You're playing the long game when you make this move, right? You understand you may be hurting your chances, at least offensively, to score more goals than the offense, than the opposition here today because... Kuzmenko can help you more than his replacement there. Now, you might be better defensively tonight because of this. Also, it's first of a back-to-back. Presuming he goes right back in, you'll have fresh legs tomorrow in San Jose. And uh, look, I think this also probably makes other players on the team look around and go, wow, they're scratching him. So... It could have a more pan team effect than solely being specific. I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't have started with a demotion first. 
Yep, and that's fair. Like, he's, and, and but, because, but because then in a where demotion, are you playing him, Blake? Because he's not exactly the type of guy who's going to hang in your in your bottom six, right? But, but, that, but that's the thing. You you say, you know what? You're playing here today, and I want to see you work your ass off, right? And you work your ass off away from the pocket. Oh, wait, wait, guess what? Mm-hmm. You're back there tomorrow right. in San Jose. Okay. But tonight, they, right. that's what I would have done. Now, you know, they may have had lengthy conversations and video sessions and maybe they're still not seeing a change. Maybe that's why they go. But I don't know why there's not that silver medal position of a demotion first hmm. before you get to this point. Other changes as well in the Canucks lineup. Right. Carson Soucy to LTIR, Pew Suter to IR, and they've recalled Cole McWard and Neil Zoman. We speculated about Ward uh, McWard yesterday. And you just think he's preferential to Akita Hirose? I, I think in the coaches' minds, I'm going to guess yes. They they feel that his sturdiness uh, presents itself as a better option. Now he's not playing versus mm-hmm. the Kraken. It doesn't appear. Neither is Hirose because it looks like uh, Myers and Friedman are good to go. Which is, in fact, almost the better news here. That, yes, um, uh, because both of them left the game. The Canucks finished with four defensemen in Denver on Wednesday. But I, I, I think it, I think they're going to be curious on McWard while he's up on this stint. Like I wouldn't be surprised if we do see the whites of Cole McWard's eyes in the yep. game here on this recall. And of course, he seemed to be favored over Hirose and others through preseason and training camp. So not a, a huge surprise there that he was next defenseman. Oman does appear to be drawing, uh, by the way, down the middle for mm-hmm. with the Hoaglander and Di Giuseppe in whatever you want to call that line. Right. <laughs> so, like, I don't know what. Well, it's, I don't know what it's that not is. a first or a second. No, no. Do we know who's playing for Kuzmenko? Uh, well, it's Beauvillier with Besser and Miller. Okay, so Beauvillier with his promotion and Lafferty with his size. Ah, and gets speed. The yes. interesting. So it's a speedy, a speedy set of wingers for Elias Pettersson. Right. Interesting. Quite interesting. Neither one of them like. Gifted 40 goal scorers by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, capable. I uh, noted uh, a line from Lachlan Irvine of Canucks Army Jim Rutherford's, if everything goes right, quote from the preseason suddenly feels pretty relevant for a while. Basically, everything was going right, but now that injuries are starting to eat away at their depth, the Canucks are looking a lot less demigod like than in October. Well put, Lachlan. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the other thing. And we spent some time on Ethan Bear earlier this week. Let's all remember, folks, Ethan Bear is free to see sign with anyone in the National totally. Hockey League. I know he's in BC skating in Canucks gear. I know the Canucks have said they'd like him back, and he would be anxious to return here after uh, playing pretty well last season. But there are other teams that are defense poor. He's a right-shot defenseman, the scarcest qual- uh, commodity. In the National Hockey League, I noted an offside story yesterday that the Oilers should consider bringing him back, and it pointed out that the Oilers have been a franchise that have long gone back to previous wells, be it Sam Gagne, Drake Kajula, and some others. And he played two seasons in Edmonton and mostly in a top-four role before that poor playoffs a couple of years back got him sent to Carolina for Warren Fogle. So, you know, we know the Alberta capital is in need of some people who can help goal prevention. Uh, shall see when and where the Ethan Bear 
sweepstakes is too strong, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no sweepstakes. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing is that, you know, a foreign team, if you will, um, maybe doesn't trust Ethan Bear to the degree that maybe the Canucks trust Ethan, Ethan Bear. Coming off of injury, I'm talking. You know, like if you've never had Ethan Bear on your roster, don't know the guy from anybody else. You're you're going to be a little bit more reticent to sign this guy coming yeah. off of uh, a big injury. Canucks know him well. They probably are going to have the easiest access to to inspect him a little bit. Um, the Canucks are, I think, far and away the front runners. If if you know for the for these minor sweepstakes. Okay, you didn't Oman. Uh, now do me McWard. What are you anticipating there? Well, I think he might, I think he's going to get a look. I'm not predicting tonight necessarily, but I, I I do think he gets a look because again, there is a reticence there with Akita Hirose, certainly, um, and so I, and he seemed to be more um, in favor during preseason and training camp. Yeah, he's a sturdier guy than Hirose is, and and certainly won some favor early on. So I, I think we're going to see Cole McWard, certainly. Um, uh, maybe it's a Cole-Cole uh, pairing to uh, really confuse John Shorthouse and company. I uh, saw Shorty was at the Seahawks game yesterday. Boy, if you're going to have a night off in Seattle, let it be Thanksgiving night with the 49ers Seahawks showed. I'm Patterson and Hughes were at the game as well. So There's a huge political uh, thing going on there, as we heard on the broadcast. You know, the Murphy family got four tickets it looks like mm-hmm. oh right three of them used up by the murphys right they had a spare ferraro didn't make the cut nope nope i mean what can i say ray you know you're new to the team you know shorty's been his ride or die for seniority. 20 plus years seniority rules <laughs> uh we we mentioned this earlier in the week but north vancouver's connor bedard in action against the Leafs this afternoon, a matinee Thanksgiving-wise. Uh, it's not a nationally televised game, which is just, okay. Um, the Leafs, incidentally, making more news with John Klingberg, who is going to be away from the team, quote, working through things to determine what's next for him. He joins Matt Murray and Jake Muzzin on Robida Island. Boy, it's amazing. The, the Leafs get this, like... The sanctuary to hide players. Yeah. yeah. It's the damnedest thing. Anyways, Just the least, though. It's weird. Yeah. 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 Uh, our friend Cam Robinson from Elite Prospects, I noted this noted this tweet yesterday. And by the way, Bedard's goals have come at even strength because they're just awful offensively. Like, they don't have running mates for him on the power play. Uh, Cam Robinson, most goals by an 18-year-old in NHL history. Wayne Gretzky with 51. Your boy Ducky, Howard Chuck, with 45. Sylvain Turgeon. Wow. With 40. Not Pierre. Yeah. Sylvain yeah. Turgeon with 40. Former Ottawa Senator Sylvain uh, Turgeon. He, he uh, Rick Bonus, one of the great wits in NHL history, um, expansion franchise coach of the Ottawa Senators. They had Jody Hull and Sylvain Turgeon, <clears throat> and he noted to his young assistant, Alain Vigneault, we got the wrong Tershaw in the wrong hall. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so mean. Yeah, well. yeah very true. Um, Connor Bedard is on pace for 50 goals. Yeah. So there's an outside chance of breaking the Gretzky record. We'll see how he maintains. We'll see if the rookie wall comes into play at all. 
And if they would happen to acquire somebody to replace the likes of a Taylor Hall that he right. has good chemistry, that could actually accelerate that place. Knee surgery for Hall, it's uh, really uh, too bad, actually, yeah. for Connor Bedard, because that's the one guy who could actually hang with him offensively. But if he were to get to 40, he would just be the fourth 18-year-old to get there. Yeah, which is, I mean, that seems understandable like it's yeah. it's hard to we've seen some amazing young players drop into the league and uh, i don't believe jack hughes was 18 but you see how great jack mm-hmm. hughes is go look at his first year like there's a big struggle like there was a huge adjustment so that only gets more exacerbated the younger you get and before you message us with what about so-and-so what about so-and-so remember folks a lot of these kids will drop in at 19 years old mm-hmm. right especially if they're the late birthdays they turn 19 early is the stat that you're talking about as an 18 as year old? an 18 year so old. like if you turn 19 in, in january i don't know where okay. we drew the line okay okay i don't know where we drew the line i hope that's what it was but of I, course but is going to play the whole year at 18 that's what i'm saying so i'd be curious to know like if, if that isn't the case if it's guys that started the seed the year uh I would love to mm-hmm. know the the true stat of as an 18 year old on the birth certificate mm-hmm. As soon as you turn 19, that clock stops. And I think that might be the, the case here uh, with the stat that you're talking about because I believe Ducky played a whole season as an 18-year-old as well. Mm-hmm. So. Well, see, Gretzky's birthday's in January, so he would have had a birthday in there during right. the course of the season. So that probably but, is- Bedard's a July birthday, so he will play the entirety of the season as an 18-year-old. So that stat probably isn't the case for Wayne Gretzky. That probably is... For the year that he started that as a 17, 18 year old season? Yeah. Like, oh gosh. Hmm. Anyways. Um, also from Cam, Port Moody's Kent Johnson has gone down to the AHL and good on him. Right attitude. Tore it up. Five games. He's averaging 1.75 points per game. Yeah. As Cam notes, he's gotten the message. Perhaps this NHL player should be uh, back in the NHL. I do wonder well, again, since we've back hit to that. young players. Like that's a young player in the AHL tearing it up. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like it's he's probably too good for the league. Mm-hmm. And you do uh, you do wonder now that we have hit this milestone, the signpost of American Thanksgiving, and of course everyone understands that uh, very few playoff teams typically change from here. Also. Um, the Ken Holland rule, you know what you are, you know what you're not, you know what you need to fix. And I think that applies to Ken Holland personally more so this year than most years when he was just caretaking a fantastic Detroit team. You do wonder whether teams are going to start to get busy here, Blake. Like you, you, We'll have a conversation later in the show with Kevin Woodley about Nashville and their goaltending situation, which is very, very... Interesting, you see Saros, who's fantastic, but of course one of the great young goaltenders in the world. Uh, prospects, uh, Askarov is playing in the HL and playing well. Of course, we've all had our conversations about Calgary and those UFAs. Columbus in particular, I think, you know, needs to, and they did get a win recently to snap a four-game streak, but 5-11-4, and, and then of course, you know, Edmonton's got to do something. There's some buzz around Chicago and what might happen. So you, you do wonder whether or not we're going to start to see some some trades and some player activity here between now and the holiday freeze. I, yeah, I, I think there's certainly an opportunity. I think um, there's just a, a greater sense this season about who 
who's not going to be able to dig themselves out of holes and who might be. And so if you're not one of those teams, um, you know, in, in, a, in a year in which everybody's getting ready to open up the checkbooks, right? Everybody sees that the cap is going to go up a decent amount. Not a huge amount, but a decent amount. Everybody's getting ready to spend. Everybody wants to get better. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be left as a seller some point this season when you know the Black Friday moment has ended for the NHL. Like right. if you've got salary you want to unload to make sure you've got so much space to spend next year, mm-hmm. get rid of it early. You know, know that you've made that trade, know that you've unloaded that space mm-hmm. without having to be on pins and needles about it later. Back on the Canucks, Seattle and San Jose, and they've lost three in a row to the Kraken. Remember that first year they just owned the Kraken, but they've lost three in a row to Kraken. We're still sort of waiting for the match to ignite that rivalry. Both on the road. Are are we um, looking at this and saying four points? Minimum three? I've said this already. Or just a split. Would you be happy with the split? No. 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 Here's what I think. Seattle's a big game. Like Seattle's a very big game because mm-hmm. it is it's a four point game in the division. That's the team right below you in the standings. Um I think they've got to beat and also just to answer to themselves. Because beating beating San Jose twice this week, going two and two by beating San Jose, that's not proving to yourself that you're you've still got this season, you know, where you want it. Mm-hmm. Like, beat a decent team. Seattle's not a juggernaut. They're not a cup contender, but they're a decent team. Go out and beat a decent team. We're one game away from the Final Four last year. So uh, I, I think they should want to prove to themselves that mm-hmm. this is not a slump, that they are not going down the drain. Go out and beat the Kraken, and then the game versus San Jose becomes the sugar on top. Mm-hmm. Chris Johnson on Insider re- Trading yesterday reporting effectively there's no news on Elias Pettersson. Um, no Frank Saravelli today. He's celebrating the U.S. holiday. Talked to a Frank yesterday, though, and he says, you know, my understanding is still, you know, when the Canucks present Elias Pettersson an offer that's acceptable, he will sign. So Doesn't need to what, wait for a certain date. Just needed what, a certain what, number. No, but what we talked about when this uh, little, uh, when this story popped up, what, a couple weeks back, Okay, you were winning all those games. The file had gone silent, but that's okay because you were winning all those games. And part and parcel of what you need to do to extend PD is to make sure you've got a competitive and quality hockey team. Now, if the file goes a little quiet, and particularly if the results aren't there team-wise, you get a little bit more hand-wringing. And look, I don't think anyone is worried just yet. Trade deadline, I think, could be an interesting uh, deadline, maybe too strong a word. But I think if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you I mean, I'm surprised they didn't before the season. I think you need to table the best offer by the deadline, Blake. I mean, I think by the deadline, Elias Pedersen's going to see what sincerity the organization has in being good, too. I say that, though, because... I would not be surprised, and I think it is in their interest to be seeking another Philip Ronick style deal. And if you're going to be making a deal for a top five or a top four right shot defenseman, 
then I think you absolutely need to know the price point that Elias Pettersson is coming in at in future seasons. Yeah. As you have talked about, their cap management gets a little more difficult when the OEL buyout isn't as favorable as it is this year. And yes, they have UFAs coming off the books. Understand that. But they've also got guys who are going to need new deals. And so I think, you know, by trade deadline, I think, put it this way, I think if this file skates through trade deadline, then that's something that is of concern. Yeah, you've got, I mean, you've got time now. Go I don't think it's slam dunk, but... Um, no, no, and I know they keep wanting to say, oh, but we have him for two more years. He's a club control player, and th- and that is technically true. But does anybody want Elias Pettersson to get in the final year before unrestricted free agency? That typically does not happen with superstars of this ilk, and, also, and with good reason. You also don't want a confrontational relationship with your no. star player. You want him to feel like he's been taken care of, that he's been a top priority, and all that sort of stuff. So you do have to monitor... That I don't think you just go to the legal letter and say, no, we have control for this amount of time. And I'll give you an example. That one year that the Vancouver Canucks were able to re-sign Ryan Kessler in season, and he later went on, much to the chagrin of the PA, and said, we got a great team here. I think everybody should take a little less so we can keep it together. The early offer from the Vancouver Canucks to Kessler was not just rejected, but had some offense taken to it. I've talked about this with his uh, representative, Kurt Overhart and Lawrence Gilman in the years since, that it was not exactly a warm and fuzzy negotiation in the early going. You know, so much so that, you know, it was effectively handled between those two guys with not a lot getting to Kessler and not a lot going any further higher up the Canucks organization just to try and keep the group small and make sure that anything potentially contentious during the negotiation did not seep out further, affect the dressing room, affect the club standing in the player's eyes, or the player in the club's eyes. They eventually got the deal done. I think Kessler probably wanted more, and I think some of the commentary thereafter was his way of rationalizing it and justifying it. Um, But that was a, a terrific example of a team and a player that didn't really start on the right foot in negotiations, getting to an agreement that both sides were happy with and both sides could rationalize in season without a lot of drama in the public sphere. Can't be a three-year deal, though. Like they, They're not going to be able to sell a three-year deal to the fans. So even if it, if it arrives at, at a good number, I don't think it can be a three-year deal. So they've got to be careful about that. Um even if it aligns with Quinn Hughes and all that, I think they've got to get to to like four years. Do you guys think that report from Johnson yesterday was Brisson and JP Barry perhaps trying to gain some leverage through the media, mm. putting a stent? Yeah, I don't know. Stake in the ground. I don't know. I. Or do they not even need to do that at this point? Like what would that? I think his play is benefits. is carrying it. I mean, what? Yeah. I mean, what might the Vancouver Canucks be seeing his slowdown in production? Being like, hey, there's no rush here. Like maybe they're slow playing it now. Oh yeah, that's such a. I, I don't. Know. Uh, to me, that's a foolish game. 
In the end, I think the number's going to be within... Uh, the but number's I think not he's changing already made himself money this year, has yeah. he not? Yeah. 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 So if you're the Canucks, I mean, the urgency of now. Yeah, if you're a top 10 scorer at the at the quarter yes. mark, I mean, that's 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 a big season. Hell yes. And you're going to get paid. So at this point, it's about finding the exact number and the exact term that makes everybody happy. But, I mean, you're eventually going to have to get there. So... I would hope that the Canucks are not the impediment to this process. Football, or the Seahawks in their very first Thanksgiving day at Lumen Field, lose 31-13 to the arch-rival San Francisco 49ers. And boy, watching that first 49ers drive play out, it's exactly as Captain Greg Bell just laid it out for us earlier in the week. The 49ers, because of the strength of their offensive line, were able to do what they placed early on against the against Seattle. They jump out to the big lead. No offensive touchdowns for Seattle in this game. Gino limping by the end, went into the game with a hurt elbow. And look, if that wasn't the quintessential example that you were looking for as in terms of your team can only go as far as the quarterback can take you, I don't know what it is. And you're still not in San Francisco's league. You know you're going to have to go through the 49ers to win the NFC. As Captain Bell will also remind us, when they don't play home playoff games, Seattle typically falls short of the Super Bowl as well. Well, not typically, routinely falls short of the Super Bowl as well. A pretty good team in Philadelphia as well. And uh, that Dallas team is coming too. 13 in a row at home, my God. And uh, Prescott looked... uh, Prescott and that offense and the defense and how opportunistic it is. More on that in a second. I was listening to the post-game show last night, and one of the analysts mentioned that since the first quarter of the Cleveland game where they scored a couple of touchdowns, I think they have like four or five offensive touchdowns over you know, a four-game span. I know you're missing Kenneth Walker. You're beat up on the offensive line. But you look at that game for the Seahawks and knowing you've got to go down to their crib and play them in a couple of weeks, not to mention you got Dallas next week. You got Philadelphia on the schedule. You have all these heavyweights. Yeah. You you now almost wonder, is this a playoff team? Well, I, I don't love the play calling either. Well, you're limited in what you can do. Uh, Carol said in the post game, you know, they miss Ken Walker because he brings an element and a dynamic to their backfield that Charbonnet doesn't have. And that is going to affect your play calling when you have a back that's a little more limited. The third and one and the fourth and one there on the final drive into the shotgun. Oh my God. And taking the time. Yeah. But like what? If you're not if you're not going to do a traditional big lineup, and they should have got a holding penalty in the end zone, so. But if you're not going to do a traditional big lineup on on a fourth and one, a big lineup play, mm. then try to try to surprise them with a quick short pass. Right. Don't just go into a shotgun and hand off, and expect that like that was your final gasp, and it was just such a terrible limp. The last four minutes just run off the clock. It was just terrible. It's it's the Thanksgiving Day. You're on you're on the big stage, and and they look like community theater on the big stage. Did you see Blake Snell race the 12th man flag? 
pre-agent pitcher, two-time Cy Young Award winner. Oh, there's all sorts of buzz. He's a Mariner. <laughs> well, he's a Washington kid. That, that, that may have been the best development for yeah, Seattle sports right. last night at yeah. the football game. Is that Blake Snell looked like he was so into it raising the 12th man flag. They had DJ Steve Aoki playing halftime, but you didn't get to see that. NBC cut away from him. Unlike Dolly Parton that was at the Cowboys game. That was weird and kind of cringy. A 77-year-old in a cheerleader outfit, hanging onto a guardrail, singing We Are the Champions for a franchise that hasn't won anything in 30 years. Yeah, I mean, I think it's part of her new rock album that she just released. It wasn't, like, designed for the Cowboys, but yeah. If I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm getting the heebie-jeebies about that. Wait a second. We haven't won anything. (laughs) Talk about We Are the Champions at halftime. Washington has fired defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio and their defensive back coach after getting thumped by the Cowboys yesterday. Dallas hasn't won, lost a home game. you got to go back to early last season. The other thing about Dallas, or about Washington, I guess, is from Optostats. NFL teams were a combined 57-0 and 0 over the last 25 seasons when having a game with 100 yards rushing, 250 passing, 35 minutes time of possession, no more than 25 penalty yards, and no more than one turnover. The Commanders did all that yesterday and lost the game by 35. And Deron Bland, with his fifth pick six of the season has as many touchdowns this year as Travis Kelsey and Saquon Barkley. Uh, Something, and I picked the Cowboys to come out of the NFC, but in previous years, like let's say last season, I would have felt good about, or I, I would not have batted an eyelash if Philadelphia went into San Francisco and won in the playoffs, if San Francisco went into Philadelphia and won in the playoffs. They were that good at teams. I would have batted an eyelash if Dallas had to go on the road and beat somebody in the playoffs. I now think Dallas may well be on that equivalent level with San Francisco and Philadelphia. Really? That they're good enough. And boy, you know, losing Diggs, the fine corner, and still being able to play this man coverage defense where you're making all, getting all these turnovers and taking some of them back to the house. Extraordinary stuff. No, I... I, I this Dallas team, I think, is legit. That's bad news for the Seahawks, then. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and of course, one has to wonder how legit the Detroit Lions are now. That's a heck of a win from Green Bay. As a Bears fan, I'm shuddering when I am say this, but the young quarterback and the receiving group there is really progressing. You can see it now week to week with the naked eye. The Lions, since week seven, when they played another good team in Baltimore, 31st in defensive success rate, 32nd in defensive EPA per play. They're giving quarterbacks more than three seconds to throw the football, and they're giving up explosive passes at nearly a 20% clip. So I'm just not sure the Lions are good enough defensively to be included with those other three teams in the NFC. And then there was this from David Payne Purdom. 
There were 371 entries remaining in the Circa Sports $9.2 million winner-take-all NFL Survivor Contest. 216 entries this week had the Detroit Lions. So down to what? 155 left. Survivor pool is so hard in the NFL. Yeah. I have stopped playing survivor pools because two years in a row I lost in week one. I was like, you know what? I'm out. If I can't get past September, I'm out. I've never done a survivor pool. No? No. Oh, they're great fun. Uh, I want to thank everybody at the St. Paul's Hospital Foundation. We attended the Lights of Hope light up last night, Blake, right here at the Wall Center, right across Burrard. Saw Christy Gordon and the global team broadcasting live. And the lights went on, as scheduled. And the lights went on, in fact, a little bit early. I'm not even sure the countdown was done and the lights were already on. They were excited. Well, they do fantastic work at St. Paul's Hospital Foundations and, of course, at the hospital itself. So, you know, they raised more than $50 million here. So good on them. I'm excited for them to have the new digs, though. Yes. That's uh, that's a facility that's seen a lot of miles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Has it ever? And I must say, Fountain Square here at the Wall Center, absolutely beautiful the way it was decorated. They're giving away free hot chocolate and cookies. And a good time was had by Christmas carols. Got in the spirit. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. Greta, fantastic place to watch the games in season, postseason. Great place to chill in the off season. Kevin Woodley of Ingold Media is going to join us. Talk about Thatcher Demko, Casey DeSmith, but the play in front of them as well, which is so key. As well, where is Edmonton going for a goaltender or a defenseman? UC Soros of the Nashville Predators. Would he be available at some point this season? Hashtags the best and worst of Twitter featuring a BC Football Hall of Famer who left us too soon. We'll go to the people, as we do Mondays and Fridays. Never a bad time to send us to tell me I'm wrong, a hot take. You can text 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox, email live at scaresomeprice.com. Rob Williams, who had the perfect story drop into his lap this week. The Royals. Yes. When you're a digital media company. You want clicks. And you write on topics of the day and famous people and quirky and everything that the Daily Hive and Offside write about, that is manna from heaven. Harry and Meghan at the Canucks game. Too good to be true almost. He did four stories on it. Way outdid the Canucks coverage. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, should also mention, uh, and of course we talk Canucks with Rob, Carson Soucy's LTIR, not just IR, LTIR, which of course means you're able to replace his salary and he is going to miss, well, we know it's six to eight weeks. And Friedman and Myers skate in at morning skate too. So that, you know, there's, uh, there's reason to believe that the, the blue line won't be in tatters for very long. That's exciting. This is exciting too. Unleash the darkness. Get your Nation Gear Blackout Collection right now. You can embrace the bold and gear up with all new styles of the exclusive line available for a limited time. Don't miss out on grabbing your favorite Canucks Army Team gear in the baddest styles they've ever been and get them now before they're gone. Get the perfect gift for your favorite fan. Order before December the 10th and you can put the presents under the tree, of course. Plus, if you spend 200 bucks, you qualify for free shipping. 
go to Nation Network or CanucksArmy.com. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter.com. I'm going to start it off with Scott MacArthur, formerly of TSN, now independent like us. He did a hit on TSN 1050 in Toronto yesterday, Blake, talking about the Blue Jays and their offseason plans. He said they're serious players for Otani. And fans should not be surprised that the Jays are right in the mix there. We had talked about these rumors about a Beau Bichette trade and how the Cubs were interested. Now, we talked about it in terms of a multi-piece trade where basically the Blue Jays would be refashioning their franchise to a degree by adding several pieces for their star shortstop. Yeah. MacArthur talked about it in terms of a one-for-one for Juan Soto that maybe it's a superstar for superstar trade. And there are some big names available on the trade market. He said Alec Manoa trade is a real possibility. And he wondered if the team thought Bo was in the long-term plans at shortstop. And I think what he's getting at there, we have seen this with Atlanta and Alex Anthopoulos, of course, their Canadian general manager. We've seen this a little down the I-5 with Jerry DePoto locking up Julio Rodriguez long-term. The trend has been when you have one of these terrific young players, you get them re-signed in the first couple of years to the long-term extension, right? And you pay for the future production mm-hmm. as opposed to having to pay them even bigger money once they get to arbitration and free agency. The Blue Jays have not done that with either Vladdy or Bichette. Uh, are, are they upset about that? Don't know. Clearly, they are off trend here in terms of the way they have treated their two big stars. And those so, two, those two big stars have been very disappointing. I well, mean, they just no, have. I mean, Bichette was not disappointing last year. Bichette was terrific last year. He, Vladdy was mm, disappointing. I wouldn't last call year. it terrific. He was. He was well, fine. He led the AL in hits. Did he not? He was good. He was. He 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 did nothing difference making. He. he well, they were crap with runners in scoring position. The entirety of the roster, up and down, uh, the entirety of the. Uh, of the line, there weren't a lot of heroic moments from him, and certainly not from Vlad. He did not lead the American League in hits last year. That's right, he got hurt. He did the two previous seasons. Uh, so, you know, it may well be here, Blake, that Shapiro and Atkins have decided we're going to get as much out of these guys for as cheap as possible, and then when it comes time for them to hit the payday, we'll make the tough decision then, and that tough decision might be moving them on. Yeah. Yeah, um, Howie Rose, a former New York Mets play-by-play man, is tweeting today that there's, he's hearing that there could be big Otani news here soon. And so the baseball offseason, I think, is about to go off. And, of course, we have not seen many free agents like Shohei Otani in the past. Everybody's just going to be backing up the Brinks oh. truck. It's going to be crazy. He's going to be a $50 million per year player, folks. Yeah. Yeah, like... 
I don't know if, if they can get creative. I don't know what the CBA says about ownership stakes and that sort of thing, but <laughs> they are going to be crazy. At Mark Lazarus, Corey Perry out of the lineup again tonight. Luke Richardson declined to say if it was his decision or if it came from above, what the timetable might be, how Perry is holding up wherever he is, or if there's a path back for Perry. This is uh, this is a bit of a soap opera, uh, if you can believe it. It's from the Blackhawks, Matt. Mm. Uh, Corey Perry has been MIA for three straight days now, and no sign of why or what's next for a guy that's actually had a really nice start to the season for as old as he is. Corey Perry had four goals and five assists, nine points in 16 games at the ripe age of 38. Um, his point totals and goal totals were on pace to probably be the best they've been since 2016, maybe? Like, going that far back? Mm-hmm. Like if he was able to continue on that pace? Like, he was turning back the clock a little bit. And now, all of a sudden, he, they don't want him in the lineup. One wonders if they have a trade for him to a destination that Corey Perry wants no part of at this late stage in his career. Potentially. Some people have thought, now it's coincided with uh, some Peter Morazic absences. Yeah, I saw EJ Raddick's tweet about, does does Ken Holland have something worked up for Peter Morazic, a former goaltender of his in Detroit, if I'm not, was he there when Kenny was there or not? Mm, Anyways. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was. Okay. Um... And uh, I saw our friend Ryan Rashog was also tweeting about a sort of, you know, character type player, the sort of player who can energize that room, a veteran guy who can basically go in there and tell him, look, all is not lost here. Let's start competing. He doesn't have trade protection officially. Right. But if he tells them, guys, I'm not I'm just not going. Yeah. I I mean, at his stage with his guys, I would retire before I took that trade. Right. Then they've got to rethink it. Mm-hmm. At Caleb Pongratz 10, he's an MLS writer based in New England. I'm told from multiple sources that there will be four MLS designated player sp- slots per team in 2024. And you're telling me MLS has uh, an announcement planned? Just got an email this morning saying, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's some special announcement coming. From- Tomorrow? Um, I didn't even bother looking at oh, okay. when the announcement was. Um, there's three right now, two DPs and then a young DP. If it's an additional just flat designated player, Blake, I'm not sure that's great news for the Caps. Does that not mean that teams with bigger payrolls could go out and spend even more? Um, yeah, I guess potentially. Um, but, I mean... the the Caps have to eventually want to be a part of that crowd. Right. So, um, and they've got money coming in from transfers. We've chronicled that over the last uh, few days. Um, you know, with there's still Alfonso money coming in, Debra Caicedo, Kyle Alessandre, all this money's coming in. Mm-hmm. Let's hope they spend the money. Um Right now, with the way this team is playing, this is not the time to say, oh, I guess I guess we're not going to be able to keep up. So uh, I hope they see it as an opportunity more than, than anything else. And I think as a group, people uh, – uh, this is just my guess. I think the league saw what happened with Messi. And granted, there's only one Messi. But I think uh, they do see the ability – like, remember, Busquets and, and Jordi Alba also came over. Right. I think they say – they see that, that movement and think, God, if we can – 
try to get teams to add even those kinds of levels of players right. to bring over? Like, does the league just get that much more shine mm-hmm. for our next season? So I think that, I think that's maybe what the impetus is here, is to just try to get a little bit more elite. You got anything else? At Whitecaps FC, the uh, women's national team rosters for these uh, goodbye Christine Sinclair games have been announced. And uh, at Whitecaps FC, we're all behind you, Geneva. BC's very own and WFC elites midfielder, Geneva Hernandez-Gray, has earned her first call-up to the Canadian National Ooh. Women's Team. She's a local girl. She's 17 years of age from Coquitlam. And considering that we're saying goodbye to a lower mainlander on the Canadian yeah. Women's Team and bringing one in, it's sort of a nice symmetry there. And Coquitlam producing soccer stars here. So congratulations mm-hmm. to Geneva. And, and lastly for me, a, a sad one here. Um, use a couple of accounts. Uh, Jean Lefebvre has been a longtime PR man for the Calgary Stampeders yeah, at JLE Feb 25. Condolences to the family and friends of Harold Hasselback, who's passed away at age 56 from cancer. A product of South Delta Secondary, Hasselback played four seasons with the Stampeders and seven with the Denver Broncos, winning titles for both teams. He survived by four children, four grandchildren. He had been coaching high school football in suburban Denver. A really fascinating life lived. His father was Dutch. His mother was from Suriname. He grew up in the Netherlands, Indonesia, and Kenya before moving here to the Lower Mainland in B.C. Played high school ball at South Delta, went on to the University of Washington. He was on some of those early Calgary, Wally Buono-led Calgary Stampeders teams, won a Grey Cup there. He's one of about a dozen guys with a Grey Cup ring and a Super Bowl ring. Uh, after the after starring for the Stampeders, he caught the eye of the Denver Broncos and Mike Shanahan. He went down there and played seven seasons, won two Super Bowls, never missed a regular season game. He started all their playoff games in their run to Super Bowl 33 with John Elway and Terrell Davis and that great team. One of the young reporters who covered that team, Blake, you may have heard of him, Adam Schefter. And Schefter went out of his way to write about Hasselback yesterday, saying he was regarded by reporters as a classy, accessible player, especially in moments of adversity, always conducting himself with professionalism and grace. I thought that was a very nice touch from a guy who's got a massive following uh, to write about an old defensive lineman. For the def- uh, mm-hmm. for the Denver Broncos in their Super Bowl era, certainly didn't get a lot of glory on those teams. They had so many stars. Fifty six gone far, far too long. One of the finest Canadian football players of his generation. There weren't a lot of Canadian players back in that era, especially non kickers that could go down to the league and no. play seven years and start on good teams. Uh, Hasselback was a terrific defensive lineman and player, and it sounds like he was an incredible individual as well. May he rest easy. That's hashtags for today. Quarter of the way through the Vancouver Canucks season, so it's high time we catch up with Kevin Woodley of InGoal Media to see what he has to say about that. Demko and Casey DeSmith 
but also the skaters in front of them. Because if you've been paying attention to Professor Woodley's classes over the years, the goaltender, much like the quarterback, is a function of those around them and how they play. Good to see you, Cap. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. You guys? Yeah, fantastic. Tell you one thing. I don't know about you because I know you sort of cover the NHL a little more broadly in the goaltending position specifically, but like and I are just happy to be talking about different storylines, different narratives this season after the last decade. Oh, we're, we're into the death march like the last year by now, right? Oh, I like, know. Looking at each other in the press box being like, oh, like, is it just like, is, is it going to be like this? Are we doing this again this early? So yeah, this is really nice. Uh, it's nice to be part of, uh, not be part of, but just be around it, right? Like it was miserable in there and that's where we work. And so when you go to work and everybody else around you is not very happy and not having fun, it work makes for a miserable work environment. So it's a lot, uh, it's a lot better now. Before we get into uh, Thatcher and Casey specifically, as I mentioned, the way they're playing in front of them, Kev, just give us your version of what you're seeing out there now, what the analytics are showing out there now in comparison to what we've seen in previous years. Um, I mean, the biggest thing to me is is the environment. Uh, as you, you guys have heard me say many times over the years, um, goaltending never exists in a vacuum. What happens in front of the goaltenders? Exhibit A, the Edmonton Oilers right about now, as much as everyone wants to focus on the goaltending, you don't go from top five defensive team to the worst rush team in the entire National Hockey League and not expect your goaltenders to take a step back. So I feel like it's bizarro world between those two teams. Like everything we used to talk about with Vancouver in terms of crappy defensive environment is now happening in Edmonton. And now it's the Canucks that are a top five defensive team overall at five on five, which is not only bodes well for um, their chances of success in making the playoffs and this run and and a better environment for Demko to get through the year healthy, but also it's one of those metrics I look at when it comes to playoff time. Like when you're predicting upsets, you look at five on five scoring rates and what a team gives up specifically the high danger chances they give up when you get to the postseason. And that's like, it's been a really successful predictor over the last five years. And the Canucks, when Taka took over, were top five. Could they sustain it? Would this group be willing to do the work to maintain it? They have so far. What's your confidence level, though, that with these injuries, that play in front of the keeper can continue to be good? Because they haven't been using Nikita Bojorosi. There seems to be a reticence there. Cole McWard's with the team now as well. Um, it's putting emphasis on some young players, and that's a lot to ask right now, um, considering you know the uh, they're starting to play some better teams, and you know the Vegas Golden Knights are coming up next week. There's there's going to be some tests coming forward here for these young young defensemen. Well, the good news is they put points in the bank and they don't need to continue at the rate. Obviously, I don't think anybody expected them to continue at the rate they started with. Um, but you're right. This is going to be a challenge. Uh, we, we've seen how good that top pairing is with Hughes and Hronik. Now, how do you balance the rest of those minutes without Carson Susie for six to eight weeks? And I think where you're seeing it cause the most sort of pain is on the penalty kill, which, frankly, the un- that's the one spot where the underlying numbers still aren't anywhere near where you need them to be, where that's where goalie, any success they've had has been goalie driven early. Last I checked, which is like two days ago, they were 29th uh, in expected goals against in terms of the high danger chances they were giving up on the penalty kill. And now without Carson Susie, it feels like it's exacerbated anytime it's in Cole that takes that penalty because those are the first two guys you were rolling out on your left side. And we've seen Cole go to the box, I think three or four times since that injury. And you know, on a couple of them, bad things happened and happened quickly when he wasn't out there on the ice. So you lose those two guys, you know, you lose Cole to a penalty and Susie for six to eight, the guys you brought in to sort of stabilize that PK. 
that's where you're seeing the biggest effect. I agree with you. Like they've been able to sort of mitigate it to a certain extent with matchups and it's easier at home. Um, just the way Adam foot rolls out those defensive we're, we're into that defense by committee, but can you do it against the better teams? Can you do it against teams with depth down the lineup? Can you do it for six to eight weeks? Those are all questions we have to see uh, how they get answered. The reality is it's going to be a step back. The question is how big a step and is it a big enough step that, you know, that playoff bar starts to come into question. And they do have home games coming up so they can get those matchups a little bit better. And it's probably going to mean a lot of minutes for Hronik and, and Hughes and Cole, all three of them. But um, we'll see. Still going to be a, a bit of a gamble. Kevin Thatcher Demko with a 923 save percentage. That's 11th in the league at 2.26 goals against average. That's 11th in the wing the league. Two shutouts tied for second in the league. Career high already. And nine wins also tied for second. Those are the traditional stats with goaltending. Did they tell the story here? And what more can you add to that? Um, I think the biggest thing is like the start. It's funny because we heard a lot about PDO in this market, about unsustainable shooting percentages. Uh, and I think the save percentage as well, right? Like Thatcher started his adjusted save percentage was like plus 6.4 sort of heading into the Ontario trip uh, where they went Toronto or Ottawa, Toronto, and then into Montreal and home. Um, and that's just, not sustainable like it's not a shot at Thatcher Demko that's just not sustainable like when Igor Shishterkin had one of the greatest goaltending seasons we've seen in the past decade he was like plus three and a half percent so you don't stay at plus six six and a half percent for long and that's come down over the past couple of weeks interesting to me you know Blake we talked about uh the defense and some of the chances and and how that sort of measures up like since that road trip Demko's expected save percentage so sort of reflective of the quality he's seen uh, has dropped to 865. So things have gotten tougher since that trip. And his results have dropped too, at least slightly below expected in that time. So overall still, um, you know, he grades out just you know, a couple of these guys have tiny samples. He's fourth in the NHL amongst the starters when it comes to adjusted save percentage right now. So he's still having a hell of a year. He's still in the conversation, uh, you know, to me for a Vesna trophy, you know, at the quarter pole sort of finalist. I think you'll see him, pop up in a few of those reports as, as, as the guy that, that some outlets pick, you know, as their quarter pole leader for that. Um, but there's been some signs both in the play in front of him and then reflective in his numbers uh, that that's dipped. The question of course is how much does it dip, right? Like that's at the end of the day, this start, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you weren't criticizing the team to say it was unsustainable. Like they were on a heater no. at both ends of the rank, right? Like yeah. that's not a criticism. Any like anytime you exceed historically great seasons, they're historically great for a reason. You're probably not maintaining that for 82. The question now is, does he stabilize around expected and maintain this, or do we see a bigger dip? And the other question is, can they continue to afford to give Casey DeSmith more starts, right? Because arrested Demko is a better Demko. I think they're very cognizant of that. We've seen it. We saw it on that Ontario Montreal trip where Casey plays twice. Um, that's going to be important for him to maintain the confidence that he's established with this coaching staff and this group early on, to be honest, the adjusted numbers weren't there early. Um, I think a lot of, he had a really friendly environment and a lot of the busyness that we saw as, Oh man, Casey was great tonight. He stole one is if there's a criticism, it's the amount of pucks he leaves in and around him. The amount of saves he makes where he doesn't hold on to the puck, retain it, control it. They're not all bad rebounds. He keeps a lot of them in front of them rather than spilling them to the side. But like that Edmonton game, second game of the season where everybody praised him, um, you know, 15 chances 
off of rebounds and there were only 39 shots or 39 chances on net on the game like that's a high percentage and so it looks a lot busier than maybe it is difficult but again they're not all bad rebounds and i love how he stays behind them like he's really good moving on his knees he's got great active hands there's a ton to like about casey de smith can he maintain the level of sort of success he's having with those numbers enough to keep Demko rested. Will they try to change that of, of DeSmith? Because he is rambunctious even for us with no idea. I mean, he's he's active. Like, there's a, there's a lot happening there. Will they try to calm him down, do you think? Um, to, like, I mean, I, I don't think you want to change too much, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that Ian Clark is cognizant of. As much as we talk about in this market, a lot of the sort of staples of Ian Clark goaltenders, you got to recognize, like, there are going to be some difference in Casey DeSmith's game. He's not six foot four. Right. So when he goes into a post, it can't always be inside the post. There are times he's going to have to overlap and play outside his post just to protect that short side. Um, there are times he's going to have to get to the top of his crease to take away more space. Like some of the saves that are leading to second chances, like you're just happy he's making the saves on some pretty good looks. Like, yeah. you know, he maintains some really good active hands. He doesn't drop into a passive butterfly. And again, not all those saves are clean, but he's making them. Right. So um, I don't know that you're like, it's a balance. There are things he's changed in terms of his retreat off the rush. He's not playing with as much flow, which should lead to more consistency. But there are other elements in terms of where he is on the ice and and some of the aggression that as long as teams don't start passing around him, which was what happened to Spencer Martin when he was aggressive at the top of the crease, teams just start passing around him. I think that's tougher to do against this Vancouver team right now with the defense and with the way they bought in under Tockett. As long as that doesn't start happening, you don't have any need to really change it. I'm out of Canucks questions, but I have a big question for him with regards to the Oilers, the team that has already mm. come up here, Kevin. Are there any good solutions for them that are out there? And should they be willing to consider selling the farm for UC Soros if, in fact, he is going to be available at some point? Well, I'd sell the farm for UC Soros. He's been an elite goaltender. He's, at, he's off to a slow start again this year. Um, but that's sort of like he's got that Roberto Luongo in him. October is usually tough. And, and this year, actually, he was decent in October and he's slittle in November. But by the end of the year, for the past two, UC Saros should have been the only other goalie in the conversation with Linus Allmark for the Vesna last year. Like his numbers were that good. And it once again remains an indictment of the general. Like we always get ripped in the Professional Hockey Writers Association. I shouldn't say we. I'm not in it anymore. But they always get ripped for when the ballot doesn't doesn't reflect, you know, what the voting should be. GM should take one for that one because there's no way Saros shouldn't have been a finalist. So if you have that opportunity, I'm selling farms to grab UC Saros. That said, like, are there solutions that would help them in goal? Yes. Jordan Bennington would help them in goal. Jake Allen would help them in goal. But you know why? Because both of those guys, in addition to having really good adjusted numbers early this season, and in Bennington's case, been better than the narrative around him ever since the cup. Like they are a tire fire defensively in St. Louis and they rely heavily on him. And he's had really long stretches of really good play above that environment. So he'd be, at least he'd be used to playing. He'd be used to it. Yes, exactly. But the other part here is those guys both succeed off the rush. Like you have to go, you have to go past raw save percentage. You have to go past the, even some of the adjusted numbers. You need to dig into granularity here. Like if you're going and getting a goaltender to save the Oilers season, and they're not going to start actually defending worth a damn, especially off the rush, then you're going to need a guy who's good off the rush. Like that's one of the compounding problems right now. Stuart Skinner, his strengths have never been rush chances. It didn't matter last year because they didn't give them up to this degree. But they, they've improved a little bit here in the last week, but they're still 30th, 30th 
in the National Hockey League at high danger rush chances against. They, and up until last week, they were 32nd. Nobody was giving up more of the most dangerous chances for goaltenders than the Edmonton Oilers. They changed their neutral zone. I know a lot of the attention was on the defensive zone, box plus one, but the numbers in, in zone weren't terrible. And Skinner was fine in zone. So was Campbell. It's the rush that they're getting killed on. They changed their neutral zone, went to a passive 1-1-3. It wasn't working. Too many big-name players making too many high-risk plays at the offensive end of the rink, leading to turnovers and odd-man rushes that their neutral zone defending. Frankly, half the time it's not even in a position anyways because the the turnovers are so egregious. And again, again, it kind of reminds me of Vancouver because those are always your top players, including defensemen, that help you outscore those problems. You need, like we heard Woodcroft say that, well, I got to keep him out there because he's the one that can help me score a goal. But eventually you lose accountability and, and those mistakes continue. So yes, there are goalies that can help them outside of UC Soros. But if you're not going to improve that aspect of your game, I go back to the first answer about goaltending never existing in a vacuum. This, and this isn't the Oilers twas ever thus. The Oilers last year were a top five defensive team. They either don't care or aren't willing to work hard enough to be that team again this season. And that as much of, and, and probably as well as goaltending, is why they find themselves where they are. So is the well, Galaxy brain idea here then that they actually go and get a defenseman instead of a goalie? I mean, that might be more expensive in a lot of ways, but is, is, is that, is that a, another alternative for them? No. Well, I mean, but how many how many defensemen are able to like again? You'd probably have to look into the numbers, like the, the Brett Pesci types that are notoriously good against you know zone entries and rush and things like that. Like having a great defenseman is 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 a plus, but if other defensemen and other players on the team continue to put him in a situation where he's facing two on ones and three on ones. Again, there's only so, so much you can do, yeah, right? Like yeah. it, it really does reflect on Vancouver last year. Remember JT Miller with the turnovers and how much that made everyone crazy? They turned the puck over in needless, dangerous situations way, way too much. Just to follow up on mine, Kev, Nashville's won three in a row to get all the way up to 27th in the league in save percentage. Of course, new sheriff in town with Barry Trotz's first year as GM. Do you, and Askarov, who you tell me if he's the real deal and ready to go, but do you, do you actually think there's a world where Saros is traded this year? Like, would you believe that to be a likelihood? I, I at think some that's, point? you know, I, I, I think that's highly unlikely. Like I said, my answer was predicated on you sort of pitching me the possibility. Um, mm -hmm. I think I've even seen quotes recently about Barry Trotz. They'd like to lock him up. And I would like, as we've seen the goaltending world shift and, and tandems and everything, like those guys, the Demkos, the Shesterkins, the Sorokins, the Vasilevskis, the Soroses of the world. Like there's only six or seven that you yeah. put in that category. You know, I, I'm not sure I'd be real keen to give up on one of those and he can fix so many mistakes he has for the last couple of years. You know, the other guy that's in that mix who has some really good adjusted numbers, they're starting to pick up again this year. And he would have been my number two last year trade deadline acquisition. If Jonas Corposalo didn't go to LA, but Nashville re-signed him because they saw all the good things he was doing. Kevin Lankinen is producing for now two years at a really, I know the raw numbers aren't there, but think of what he's playing behind. Think of the tough starts he gets. The adjusted numbers are, they're noteworthy. And the last time I sort of felt this way about a guy who wasn't getting the opportunity and teams were sleeping on was Connor Ingram, who I said, you know, the Arizona Coyotes should look at off the waiver wire and look how that's worked out. Like Lankinen's posting similar adjusted numbers. He's not going to get a lot of headlines. I don't know that you can bring him in with that lack of experience, say he could save the Oilers season, 
but I think he's a guy that some team could do very well by acquiring at some point this season. If indeed he's got, I think he's only signed for one year. So he's probably a UFA again this season. Uh, He's one of my early guys to target in terms of help fix a team. And real quick, real quick, if the ducks sink like a stone, do you trust John Gibson's body enough? I've said for years, I really want to see John Gibson behind a better team. Anaheim's playing better. John Gibson's got a 927 and at least last I checked and the adjusted numbers reflected too, guys. Like the adjusted numbers are really positive right now. So the talent has always been there. Just that environment. It's like Demko last year. Everyone keeps saying, Oh, imagine the Oilers with Demko. I'm like, did you see Demko behind the Canucks last season? Like environment matters. And Gibson has been in one where they punch him in the mouth every night. I like not only they didn't even score. It was the worst environment possible. No defense. And you felt like one might be one too many for years. Right. Yeah. So hard. So hard. Yeah. And uh, Lankin is free agent after this year. He's on a $2 million ticket. Kevin, you always make us smarter. Thanks for the time here, my friend. Catch up soon. My pleasure, guys. Oh, to the people. To the people. We, let's, yes. let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I miss the people there. Been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. To the people we go. Presentation of Finning. Register, bid, win. The Finning Online Timed Event is here right now. It's time to get your bid on. The Finning Online Timed Event is live and open for bidding. Don't miss out on your chance to secure the machinery you need. Finning is offering easy-to-use online bidding, diverse quality using CAT and non-CAT equipment, and post-purchase support. Sound good? Well, start bidding now to build your fleet with quality-used equipment. The event only runs until December the 5th, so don't wait. Sign in or register today to start browsing. For more information, go to used.finning.com bid. Thursday's poll question after the first quarter of the season, what letter grade do you give the Canucks? A won the poll with 39%, A minus 29%, B plus 20%, A plus 13%. Lance, they still struggle against A-listers. That was the theme through the comments. People downgrading them because of quality of wins. Adam, they beat Dallas, then lost to every other really good team. Toronto, Tampa, Colorado, obviously a good start, but weak opponents. B grade. One thing I'll say on that front, though, is I just read today, uh, they have the amongst the highest miles if not the highest miles traveled Travel. this season. And, of course, Edmonton and Vancouver will consistently be the highest mile travel team. But so early to be mm-hmm. at the top. Um, well, the Eastern Road Trip, they went down to Florida, yeah, right? Yeah. It's as far as you can go. Water Protection says, when your defenseman and team set new franchise record for best starts, that has to be an A+. Joey, what mouth breathers think the best start in franchise history is a B+. And then Scridler. Much, much better than expected. Playing fun, hardworking hockey gets them an A, but recent play and worrying trends emerging can't get them higher Scribbler's than an A so, minus. So damn smart, Scriddler. So damn smart. It's almost exactly what Blake said, yeah. Scriddler. So. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Geno Smith was a great story. He is extremely likable and a serviceable NFL quarterback, but the Seahawks can't bring him back next season as a starter. They have to go get a quarterback early. Day two, at least, in the next draft. Don't tell me Drew Locke is part of the solution. Gino wasn't close to 100%, and they still wouldn't go to Locke. That's basketball, Phil, and he's right on every count. Brian, similar, tell me I'm wrong. The real Gino Smith, who was a backup for his entire career until last year, is showing his real self this year. Yep. Hashtag draft the next Hawks QB. And this was sent before last <laughs> night, by the way. So 
I will once again go back to holding the fifth overall pick in the draft, and you would have had to have moved up, as it turns out, to get Richardson Stroud or Bryce Young. But I'm I'm going to be interested to see. You know, you were five and twenty in the first round last year. You did have the end to second. You had the capital to move up. Houston made the trade of um, sorry, Arizona made the trade down um, from number three overall which Houston jumped into to take uh, Will Anderson, the pass rusher. If you have to move up in this draft, what it's gonna, what is it going to cost you? Because you're going to be picking around, what, 17, 18, mm-hmm. 20, something like that. It's a big jump to make. That's a lot of draft capital. Or or you're going to have to trade pieces for an established quarterback, and God knows that can be expensive. Matt, you just draft a QB wherever you are. And and if you if you're drafting the best of the rest, so you just I'm okay sit with that. And take a quarterback in the late first round. Yep. Okay. I I I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure who that would be. I don't see the value in trading up for a quarterback. I really well, don't. Uh, and most of those trades fail. Most of them. Most do. of them fail. Famously. So yeah. don't be that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, just draft where you are. Jason Cloverdale, tell me I'm wrong, but the Edmonton Oilers and Calgary Flames, the New York Jets, and New York Giants of the NHL with all the bad primetime games. Yeah. Uh, it, it, all the networks got suckered into it, and and especially with the Oilers. I don't blame them. I mean, yeah. come on. Jay says, next time you have Corrado on the show, ask him what software he's using on Twitter to go over highlights. Try not my game for Beer League. Got a boy. <laughs> You will be the hero of Beer League if you're doing Telestrator stuff for Beer League. Leaf, tell me I'm wrong. After seeing the Beckham doc, Canada Soccer needs to find their Sir Alex Ferguson, a voice that these talented players respect. If you want to play in the World Cup, it's my way. Well, you know, the Sir Alex Ferguson's aren't exactly a dime a dozen, Leaf. But as Dan points out, Canada is in danger of embarrassing itself at the World Cup mm. in 2026. I mean, I don't think there's any expectation, so I don't think you embarrass yourself. I don't think Canada would be a global embarrassment if they lost all three games in the group stage again. But I don't think that's the goal either. I mean, I think you want to to make some waves and, and put yourself on the map. Hold on. What? If they lost all three games in the group stage for a second consecutive World Cup at home when everyone was talking about this young and up-and-coming program, that wouldn't be an embarrassment? No. I, oh, I, come on, Blake. Matt, it's an embarrassment for us in Canada, but but the globe does not regard us. You you are inflating people's. Um, okay, so so for us, yes, yes. Yeah. But he's seeing a, a global embarrassment. You know, like it, it, it's it's not. It, 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 people don't regard us. It will be a footnote. I will say it again, Don Carlo. Go get Don Carlo. There's, there's a, a lot of free agent, top-end coaches out there. They're going to be very expensive. But only one guy has a familial tie to our country. But here's the He end. married a Vancouver woman. He talked about how Canada was the team he was most looking forward to and watching at the last World Cup. If you spend time in this country, like, it burrows into you. It affects you. You, we already see some of the signs of that with Don Carlo. He's done everything you can possibly do in global football. The last project of his career, come make Canada a soccer, your adopted home, a soccer-playing nation, competing nation. We see this, though, in other uh, milieus, like when, when countries get the chance to host the Olympics. You know, they invest in certain sports that they aren't necessarily good in, 
so that they arrive on the world stage. Like, Canada's not hosting a World Cup again for decades. Oh, no. Hell no. This is your chance. Yes. You have very good talent. Not a chance to win the World Cup, probably. But is there an outside chance that you could make the quarters? Yes. Yeah, yeah I think there is. So br- spend the money. Mm-hmm. Get a Canadian bank to step up and say, yeah, we'll pay that guy's salary. Exactly. Exactly. And back up the Brinks truck for, for a global Don, coach. For Don Carlo. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Quinn Hughes in the fr- no, because everybody else is a mercenary. That's okay. I'm I'm okay for a hundred. And 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 if if Ancelotti was not out there with a tie to this country, I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. But you've got a guy who wouldn't simply be taking a job; he would be taking he would be taking on a project. He would be taking on a. You know, the final chapter of his life's work, mm-hmm. so to speak. Something lasting, a legacy. Benson, tell me I'm wrong. Quinn Hughes, in the first two months of his captaincy, has already surpassed his predecessor and is on his way to be the next number to be retired, even without guaranteeing an eventual championship. Well, he's the best defenseman in Canucks history. So, yeah, I do think his number will be retired one day. Colin and planning. I like this one. One of McDavid or Drysaddle do not start the season with the Oilers. Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on, Colin. I think you're right. Because here's the thing. You have run up in the playoffs against the second round, and this year may well be a non-playoff season. I think you have to look at the balance of your team now and say, as great as it is to have these two superstars, this is not a winning formula in a hard-capped NHL. And partly that's because of poor decisions in and around those two guys. I think it could be a winning formula. But right now they're in jail. And so to alleviate the rest of the roster problems and the cap crunch and everything that franchise is facing, I think you have to make a dry cycle for litany of assets coming back, most of them to help the defensive side of the puck. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, you're our second-line center. And we will try and create a deeper team that defends better. They've got pretty good wing. Like your Kane and Hyman are like good winger. Like they've got some winger depth too. So they could absolutely uh, withstand that if they got demonstrably better on the back end. Uh, did you notice that the Daily Hive in Toronto? Um, and it was with a bit of a wink saying it would be good for the media enterprise in total that the, the Toronto Maple Leafs should reach out to the Oilers about McDavid. Well, so I. I can you imagine what that would do to so media? Here, no, okay. So w- what that is missing, and of course a lot of things often get missed in, in the blue and white haze that falls over <laughs> media in that town. Connor McDavid is not the guy you're actively trading unless he goes to you and says, I want out. If you have to make the tough choice about which of these superstars are we going to trade, it's dry cycle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's pissy dry cycle. It would be delicious, though. Because if McDavid you're and not Matthews tra- were traded because for each it's PR. Look, this is the franchise, of course, that traded Wayne Gretzky. So there will be many who can tell you, of course, they did win a cup afterwards, but there will be many in the market who understand the wounds and everything of that. Of that trade. You can't 
trade McDavid unless he wants out. You can trade Dreisaitl proactively. And they both have trade protection. McDavid has a full no-move clause. Dreisaitl, who has two years remaining on his deal, has a 10-team trade list hmm. for this year and next. What did you make of that little scene? Did you see uh, Dreisaitl pat McDavid on the uh, thigh on the bench? So they were both depressed versus the Hurricanes there, mm-hmm. down four goals. And there was this uh, scene again caught on tape. Not only was that that stare that we talked about yesterday, but Drysaddle sits down to him, and they both sort of exhale, and Drysaddle pats him on the thigh, and McDavid pats him back. It's almost like, don't worry, we're getting out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Trade or sign Ethan Bear? Chris on YouTube says, the problem is that Beauvillier and Garland would be perfect to move because of the cap, but neither are producing well enough to get any kind of return, and they'd be idiots to give up a draft pick. I've never seen a team go all in for the playoffs. This isn't the cup. It's the playoffs. Two home playoff games. Chief Waffle. A lot, a lot of truth there. Yeah. The Knicks need a legitimate top four defenseman, not another bottom pairing guy. He would only be a slight upgrade over what we have. And then Ian W counters. Look what talk it did for Myers. Bear will be a better player under Rick. Far better than Bruce. He's a massive upgrade on Juleson and Friedman. Friedman's actually and got good stats, I by the way. that's something I can get behind. He is a... He is a upgrade on I, both those players. I, I saw Friedman and Cole's stats uh, the other day as a pairing. Um, they've got very good stats together, by the way. Um, Cole and Friedman. Now, that being said, just eye test tells you that Bear should be an upgrade on Friedman, uh, but he's done well with what he's been given. Uh, it, it's only a slight upgrade, but it's also only a slight investment, Chief Waffle. You mm-hmm. say it's only a slight uh, upgrade. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You're not spending anything. It's just cap space and a, and a very small amount of it, you would hope, so that's okay. Mm-hmm. If it's only a slight upgrade, take it. You don't have to submit assets to get it. On the JPAD interview, uh, Goodeye says, Suter and Susie have been far better than fans thought, and now it is hard to replace them. Can't can win a bit over half the games without them. I was really hoping to not get into injury trouble. Well, that's the thing. It's a matter of that's when, life, not yeah. if. We have decent depth in the bottom six forwards, but no real quality defensemen. It is going to be tough sledding with every replacement player walking injured, puts the team out of sync. healthy, we work like clockwork. Uh, ALH says, if Pedersen's playing hurt, why is he being used as a primary penalty killer? Curious as to what evidence there is he is still playing hurt, other than his play is getting worse. This reminds me of his Calder season. Petey was good for maybe 30 games, and he limped his way through the final 52. This season, Petey had 10 good games before the wheels fell off. He's had maintenance days, is one of the... Well, and, and the coach said he's working his way through something in the early November. Like the, the Canucks are on the record, remember, as saying that he's got something. So mm-hmm. there's no, it's not just speculation. They've, they've said it. So the, it's a shame. And, and you don't see it in his play in any way. He doesn't labor when he skates, per se. But um, again, uh, our chat, chat with PJ yesterday. Um, groin perhaps and wrist and that seems to be the conventional wisdom here is there's there's probably two fronts he's battling so here's some price from wall center presentation applewood auto group it's all good at applewood and especially at applewood infinity in the richmond auto mall get the qx50 with financing from zero percent the q50 financing from 1.99 percent what year is it Plus, you can get no-charge winter tires on select trims as well. You see? Wasn't lying. 
truly is. All good. All good. At Applewood. Poll question today asking you, is scratching Andre Kuzmenko the right call, yes or no? You can vote at Secure Some Price on Twitter or YouTube. Joined by Rob Williams, Rob the Hockey Guy, the national sports editor of the Daily Hive, and it's offside vertical. First of all, thank you for uh, switching days with JPAT this week. Appreciate that. And so much talk about the Vancouver Canucks start, Rob, and you know there were different signposts. Best start in this many games, best start in that many games. Uh, lost three or four, alas, we're not at the best start anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I started the... Uh the best start look backs. I was checking through the kind of the history of the, the team at kind of like the six, seven game mark. And uh, it, they just kept having the best start. And it was, it was kind of a, a fun ride for a while. It, almost to the point where I think people got bored by it. Like it was like, you'd be like, this is the best start in franchise history. And that's like, eh, yeah, it still is the best start. That's fine. Uh, I can tell you now after 20 games, this is no longer the best start. So uh, it's close, though. It's it, this is the tied for the fourth best start in Canucks history. Uh, Which I don't is unbelievable. If, I, I mean, uh, like it's a really nice record, but it's not like ungodly. Like it's just uh, fifty yeah. over fifty years of this franchise, and like this is near the high watermark. That seems that seems very sad, actually. The funny thing is when you look back at the history, because I think a lot of people would say if you were to guess, okay, so what years? beat that out you people would immediately say well 2010 2011 right best team in franchise history uh no <laughs> that team started 10 7 and 3 if you can believe it wow really uh 23 points so that's a full uh four points behind the present day team uh or then maybe you'd say hey maybe it's the the 2011 2012 team right that was the the other president's trophy winning team they had the Stanley Cup hangover. They started 10, 9, and 1. They had 21 points. So a full six points back where the team is uh, at this point. Uh, so I don't know if I don't know if you guys have any, I don't know if you guys want to give any guesses here about uh, who you think it is. Mm. Well, there was that. Was it 05, 06, Rob? 05, 06, does, it was close. It doesn't quite crack the list. How about 14, 15? Did Willie's team get off to a good start? 14-15 match this record right now. So okay. Willie Desjardins' first year with the Canucks matches Rick Tockett's first full year with the Canucks uh, at 13-6-1. Uh, and one. That, It's hard to believe, right? Because that, that team yeah. kind of was – I mean, that there were some fun moments that year, but I don't think it was the euphoria of, of, of this season with the Canucks. And I think that just shows how bad they've been for so long where, you know, that Willie Desjardins team, that was a nice – bounce back after the torts here, but we didn't get, you know, it wasn't like a, a decade of darkness is essentially. Like 92, 93. 92, 93 was my next and guess. And 02, 03. And 06, 07 was my you, next. I guessed 02. You're so Did close. You? So, oh. so 91, 92. So Burray's full, first full season oh. uh, in Vancouver. So not his rookie year, but his second year. Mm -hmm. uh, they, that, that is the, uh, that's tied for the best record ever. So they were 13, four and three. So two points better than they are, uh, presently, mm -hmm. uh, the 0304 oh, team. So, so that was the, uh, West coast express, uh, team. They were, uh, 12, four and four. So just one point mm -hmm. better than the present day team. And if you can believe it, the 74, 75 Canucks. So that's the Gary suitcase Smith. 
led right. Canucks uh, when they first went to the playoffs and, and won the Smythe division. They are tied with the 91-92 Canucks with a 13-4-3 record for 29 points. Amazing. Hmm. I mean, this team could be uh, right there and, and still hold it. If they kick a couple of these, like the Canucks have got a lot of wins. 13 wins is great. Their losses, it's a shame that they haven't been able to kick a few of those into the uh, OTL column. You know, if they get a couple single points, if they're 13-4-3 and three sort of thing, you know, they're, they're, ba- they're back to being amongst the best starts ever, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's been it's been good and bad because their wins have mostly come in regulation as well. They haven't been, right. been getting a lot of uh, of OTL, so they haven't been gifting points to other teams in their wins as well. But you're right. If they, you know, if you can, what do they say? Manage your losses. Uh, they'd be they'd be in an even better situation. But um, like I said, I mean, they're in, they're in a slump right now. Uh, you know, having lost three of four, but I just, it, it really does. It kind of surprises me just like looking at these stats. Cause it really does feel like this grand surprise. And I know we had, we had a story on it with, when you look at the betting odds at the beginning of the year to make the playoffs and now the betting odds and, and probability to make the playoffs beginning of the year compared to the probability of making the playoffs. Now, no team in the NHL has had a bigger jump up than the Vancouver Canucks. So they're, you know, they're the surprise of the NHL. Mm. One of your writers, Noah Strang, uh, wrote about JT Miller this week. What did we learn there, Rob? <laughs> well, it's just looking back at the contract and, and you know, there were a lot of critics of, of Miller's contract and, I, and at the time, rightfully so, and maybe still rightfully so. Um, but certainly, it, you know, the way he started this season you know, not only just not only being among the league's leading scorers, which is incredible in its own right, but the way he's playing, like the the he's now a matchup center. Which you know, when he signed that deal, we weren't sure if he was a center. Remember, I mean, last season he got he got pushed to the wing because he was just so terrible defensively that Bruce Boudreau couldn't couldn't trust him in the middle any any longer. And now he's a matchup center. And I mean, that goal he scored the other night where that power forward move coming to the, you know, uh, you know, bowling his way to the, to the middle and and scoring, uh, you know, that's a, that's a pretty valuable player. Now he's signed for seven years, you know, he's signed for a cap hit of 8 million a year. That's a lot of years. He's, you know, on the wrong side of 30 now, the, the part where I where I give pause to it is that that deal looks very different if if he's signing that deal with a good team, a team that could potentially win a Stanley Cup, right? Compared to where I think most people saw them at, which was a team that probably needed to rebuild and probably needed to to change things up if they ever want to. Uh, you know, to make a run at the Stanley Cup. Now, a lot, a lot, a long way to go before we really, you know, have them lifting the Stanley Cup. But you hope to get value in the first half of a deal like that, right? And you know that it's you're going to be overspending a little bit on the back half. And I think that if the if the Canucks are for real, if they can, you know, really put together a winning team in the next few years, I think we definitely are going to view that contract different. And uh, lastly, Rob, I can only imagine the shot of glee and excitement 
that went through the Daily Hive and offside newsrooms when Prince Harry and Meghan Markle found themselves <laughs> at Monday's Vancouver Canucks games. Mm-hmm. Blake, the Royals are a click industry into and unto really? themselves. I can only imagine people across the globe, Rob, checking out your stories. Yeah, for Daily Hive, it's like, Harry. guys, it is go time. It this is, is yeah. why we're here. All hands on deck. <laughs> Nobody yes. rests until the royal couple is back home in bed. We will cover this front Better back. than election night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you give them election night pizza at the mm-hmm. end of all this, Rob? You guys, you're absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> I, I... <laughs> I actually got tipped off about an hour before puck drop that this was. Did you probably wow. coming? Ooh. But it was there was enough uncertainty that I was like, I'm not putting this because there was there was there was some talk that like everyone was sworn to secrecy, but there was some talk that if they if this leaked out that they could pull the plug on it like right. if, it, if it got too big that they might not show up. Clearly, they didn't want advanced hoopla for this because it was kept totally secret and was a big surprise uh seeing harry at, at the uh step onto the ice i was ready for it though so it did it did help me in that regard mm-hmm. i did that see the thing that the cameras didn't catch before they introduced harry he slipped on the on the little carpet on on the on the ice like mm-hmm. he fully had to like he was kind of waved his arms to like regain his balance so that would have been something if he'd fallen oh. to the ice could you imagine international scandal the vancouver canucks and canucks sports entertainment would have had some very difficult questions if prince harry had slipped and fell hit head on the dash or something can you your brand associated Mm. with that degree of royal calamity oh but I love, I love all, I love everything about the story, guys. I, I was, I think I wrote four, four articles about it. Um, I was just, it was just, just da- turning up the tailor made for da- It was tailor made for Daily Hive. It was right. perfect. Seems uh, proportional for everything, everything from, Rob, from, yeah. How What's many on the game? We had, a, we had some, we had an article on the game. <laughs> <laughs> But everything from from you know Hurdle and and uh, Hughes had to tell him when to drop the puck yeah. to their reaction in the I mean the reaction watching the goal go in, in in the third period they showed it on the big screen at Rogers Arena and the you know seeing them actually be like a, you know pumped up to watch the to the goal mm-hmm. and I'm not a bit like, I'm not a big Royals guy I'm not a big celebrity guy here you guys but I to be honest I said to somebody in the second intermission I was like. You know, I wonder if they're even still here. They probably have already left, right? They got the they got the photo op, got the Invictus Games shout out, and they probably took off. But no, it looks like they they stayed for the full thing. So that was that was surprising to me in, in somewhat as well. And of course, well, the crowd's I mean, appreciation for oh, yeah. their for their appreciation really boils down to the human emotion of they like us. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> like that's, that's you know what it was? It, 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 it was nice to see that they weren't too cool for school, right? Yes, like they were, exactly. They, yeah, like they just came and enjoyed themselves, and they looked like they had a, you know, a couple glasses of wine, and they, you know, they weren't uh, being uppity in the uh, in the private box watching the game. Well, a few things here. Number one, I caught your follow up story that more than a hundred people signed up to volunteer for the Invictus Games because of his appearance. So, hey, good on you. Um, secondly, you know, Harry has always been the most relatable royal because he's 
flawed and he, you know, does act with emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the difference. It's on a scale. Well, I mean, it's the difference between being the spare and being the heir, Mm -hmm. right? Like Harry can get away with some things that is his older brother. They're, of course, not working royals anymore. So there's that as well. So they, you know, as much as you you can, when you still carry the title and all that, they, uh, you know, retreated to public life and uh, of course rob is absolutely right in terms of the delicate balance they walk between of course wanting to attract audience because they do have a media company and not wanting the international paparazzi or those those harrowing scenes of crowds in and around their home and whatnot this is the couple that did the leave us alone publicity tour you may recall several months ago <laughs> yeah, which is an odd thing well, yeah. i mean th- that is the tightrope they walk uh rob great stuff thanks for this buddy we'll catch up next week thursday promise <laughs> sounds great So Harrison Price from Wall Center Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us, 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program, there were several. Uh, the Canucks, three points back of Vegas, not one. We self-corrected. But uh, You mentioned Rick Tockett in his second go-around as head coach. It's technically third. Tampa Bay, yeah, Arizona. Mm. And then I uh, mistakenly wanted to put Elliot Gould in Eyes Wide Shut. It was Sidney Pollock. I got him mixed up. I'm sorry. Anything from the inbox from the people, Grady? Yeah, Yerke's kind of taken issue with, well, more so TSN's player ranking that we touched ah, on. It's so, not our error. Yeah, I, I'll just throw it in because why not? Anytime you can dunk on the Toronto Sports Network, you got to do it, right? Mm. Um, He says, I think it's fair to call an omission here. Another Canuck asset made TSN's top 50 young players. Maybe a bit surprising. Tom Wielander made it at 45, just ahead of Simashev and no Benson. Also, air on TSN for saying he's American. So, there you go. Mm -hmm. Time now for the Betway bets of the day. And Blake, you may remember back in August, September, I was more bullish on the Houston Texans than most. I I thought Stroud, uh, of the quarterbacks drafted last year, I thought Stroud was the most polished guy and Mm -hmm. pretty good offensive line there. So I thought, look, I I think they can be okay. Uh, They got a big one Sunday. They're hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars. And they're getting a point and a half, but I'm just going to take them straight up two to one on your Betway bet of the day. Uh, meanwhile, I can no longer tolerate any joy for Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos, so I'll just cheer against him the rest of the way because okay. if the Seahawks cannot have success, he shouldn't either. Right. Uh, Cleveland Browns at two straight up over the Broncos. On your Betway, bets of the day must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, follow us, Rinkwide and Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social, that's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube, and of course, 
support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.